are smack in the second week here of a series about being a watchman for the Lord. And I know last week we talked about Matthew 26, 41, where Jesus said to his disciples that they should watch. Somebody say watch and pray. Now say it like you're from, you know, like from the hood or something. Watch. Some of y'all got added to that. I saw the next coin. Praise God. And pray. You know how you tell somebody, watch this. When you're in high school, you're about to do something wild. Jesus is saying, I want you to be watchful. I want you to look at everything around you happening, but not look at it with physical eyes and natural perception, but look at it with a spiritual perception so that you can see what the Lord is doing. And and a big part of this year, I believe with all of my heart, the Lord is asking the church, a.k.a. y'all and us, me, right, that we would have a watchfulness in our hearts and that we wouldn't just do things to do them, but that we would do everything with an intention. And that we would be watchful as to what is transacting around us in everything that we do. And I encourage you that I know that the idea of being a watchman might seem daunting, might seem weird, might seem churchy. But what what it means to be watchful is really simply this, that you have a mental awareness and spiritual alertness in your times of prayer. That you don't just come to God with a laundry list of wants and needs, but that you're being perceptive and discerning in the spirit To say, Lord, what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do? Amen? I'm in Isaiah chapter 21, verse 6. An interesting set of scriptures here that I'll be reading from the ESV. Isaiah 21, verse 6, down to 10. And it reads like this. For thus the Lord said to me. This is the prophet Isaiah talking. Go, set a watchman. Let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen, and peers, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. Then he who saw cried out upon a watchtower, I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I'm stationed whole nights. And behold, here come riders, horsemen, and peers. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. Oh, my thresh and winnowed one that I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. The watchman ending it there saying, what the Lord has shown me, I now speak to you. A number of days ago, my wife uh, said to me that my, my oldest daughter was beginning to struggle in some of the areas of her learning and her education, in, in particular with the idea of multiplication in math. Aria just was not doing the best. And so this alarmed me. As it should alarm any parent when your kid is underperforming in some area of their learning. And so I had to have a conversation with Aria, and I explained to her, hey, in case you didn't realize it, you know, no pressure, but Burgosses are good at math. No pressure. Going to be all right. Daddy's going to help you, Right. And so I got one of those insert sheets, the plastic clear ones you put papers into in a binder. And we had, um, we had some, she had some like, uh, some flashcards and we had an expo marker. And so for a little while, I'm sitting there with her in the kitchen and we're going over these multiplications and she's just getting frustrated and she's like, I can't do it. And I'm like, you can do it. And I'm trying to teach her every trick that I know. But apparently the way kids learn nowadays is different. She was like, I got to make all these dots and then I have to do this and then I have to have this. I'm like, what? You're finding the area of a square to learn what this time table is? Foolishness. Go back to the old stuff, please. Please. We got to intercede for that. Praise God. 
And so she's, but I got to do it this way. No, you don't. You do it like daddy says. And so we're sitting there and I begin to time her. Now the pressure's on and she has to do a set number of problems, right? All these different equations within, I believe it's five minutes. Her teacher only gives her five minutes, and the last one she failed. It was not pretty, y'all. It was ugly. And I was just telling her, hey, no pressure, but we also, as Berger said, we don't fail tests. We don't do that. You're going to live in this house. You want to live in your bedroom. You want to have two dogs, and you want to have your own bed. You're going to sit here and pass tests in my house. And so I began to test her. And, and what she didn't know was I started the clock at two and a half minutes, didn't even give her a full five. And so she's getting flustered by the end. And she's messing up on the simplest ones, right? It's four times nine. I'm trying to tell her, it's just four more than four times eight. Just add four, kid. You're going to be great. After a little while, with a bribery with Robux from Roblox, praise God. Yeah, yeah, I had to bribe her. She did the entire test in less than a minute and 25 seconds. And I'm like, that's my girl. Woke up the next morning. She's getting ready for school. She has a test that day. I started in my bedroom. We're going over it again. She's like, I forgot the 11 to 12 multiplication tables. And so I had to teach her all those in a matter of just like 30 minutes. And she goes to school. She aces the test. She smokes everybody, right? She smokes everybody at her table. And she made a point to tell me I was the fastest one on my table. They told me I wasn't going to do good. And I beat them all. I'm like, it's a four-minute drive from the school to the house, but she called me, had to let me know. And I said to her, this is good because what a Burgos does is we pass tests and we know math. What I was trying to express to my daughter, though, is what were the qualities of what I expect from her as a child learning? I expect you to study. I expect you to learn. I expect you to know. And every time, right, there is an expectation from God, he always through scripture lets us know how he has equipped us to meet the expectation. Right? And then every now and then he will come and inspect what he expects. And he begins to look in our lives and see what's in our hearts to see if we measure up. And in in Isaiah 21, what is happening here is really important because I call it having a window into the ways of God. Meaning that God is showing us what the, the, the qualities of a watchman are and what we should be looking for in our everyday, daily life. And although it may not seem like it, in a moment I believe that you will see that. Now from Isaiah 13 to 23, Isaiah is pretty much giving a lot of very bad prophecies to a lot of very evil countries. And so God is just like dropping the hammer on all these people, and Isaiah is prophesying like crazy. And he gets down to to, to chapter 21 that we're in, and he's talking to Babylon in particular from verses 6 to 10. Babylon being the old ancient empire that had enslaved God's people. And we see in verse 7, right? These things that God begins to tell us. I want to preface this sermon by saying to all you Biblepedia people who might email me or text me or talk about me, I want to let you know, I'm not saying these are the only qualities of a watchman. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is a 30-minute sermon. I only have so much time to tell you everything I know, right? These are three of the main ones that are very important for every believer to have imparted into their life. We got that out the way, praise God. Amen. Verse 7, when he sees riders... Horsemen and peers, riders on donkeys, riders on camels. Here's the important part. Let him listen diligently, very diligently. Now, the Lord is describing to Isaiah what the watchman must do, what the person who's trying to be spiritually alert, 
is trying to do. What do they need to do? The Lord is revealing how we are to watch. In verse 6, it's obvious. He says to him, whatever you see, you got to say it. But then in verse 7, he says, don't see it. I want you to hear it. And here's why this is happening. Because most of the ancient Near East in the times of the Bible... The enemy would rarely attack during the day. They would attack at night. And so a watchman would not see it first. They would hear it first. And there's something in this season of your life that you need to realize that you might have to spiritually hear it first before you ever see it in your walk with the Lord. It's real simple, right? Listen diligently, very diligently. This idea of listening is discernment. It's the, it's the gift of spiritual discernment. You have to understand this. You have to see this, he's saying. I want you to hear it in your heart and perceive it in your spirit. Man, here's point number one out of three. Real simple. A watchman must have diligent discernment. You have to have a diligent and discerning spirit in this season. It's one thing to be discerning when you want to be, but according to the scripture, there's an emphasis to be diligent in your discerning. He emphasizes that the second time around, be diligent. What does it mean to be diligent? Here's a real simple explanation for diligence and definition. Diligence is excellence in the mundane over time. It's when you are really, really, really good at the basic stuff over time and that you don't get lazy just because you've done it for so long. I thank God that my barber doesn't get lazy because he's been doing faith for so long. Every man be like, amen. Some of the ball folk like don't even apply. Praise God. But for all you who are still here, you're blessed by God. You know you don't want your barber to sit there and hold 20,000 conversations. Bro, just cut my hair and get my blend right. Because I'm going to check your work in this mirror. And if it ain't right, I'm be like, listen, um, there's a little bit of spot right here. Is that blending right? I don't know. It may just be me, but I don't think so. Right? You want them to have it correct. You want them to be diligent. You want them to have a continued Excellence over time, although it may be routine to them. And here's what the scripture is saying. You have to have a excellence in your watchfulness, in your prayerfulness over time so that you can discern something. Well, pastor, what does discern mean? Real spiritual word. And it just, just means this, to know something, not out of your own wisdom, but by the spirit of God. Have you ever talked to somebody? And as a pastor, the Lord nudges me a lot. Call brother so-and-so. Call sister so-and-so. And you call them up, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, highly favored. Get past that one, right? No, no, how are you doing? Oh, pastor, I'm good. No, 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 Penny, how are you doing? (gasps) Oh, well. And it just goes from there, right? Have you ever maybe just walked into a room and you knew just something wasn't right? This is off. This is weird. I'm going to have my head in a swivel. I'm going to sit here just watching everything. I'm going to be prayerful because something ain't right up in this place. That's a discernment in your heart. That the Lord, he speaks to us and we know stuff not through our own wisdom, but by the wisdom of God. And you should know that spiritual discernment is actually a gift of the spirit. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, or actually 12, 10, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's discernment, that you'll be able to know the difference of what is God and what is not God. But every single one of us has a level of discernment in our lives, and we're called to exercise that discernment. 
First Corinthians 2.12, now that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Here's what Paul is saying. We receive the spirit of God and this gift of discernment so that we can know what God is speaking to us. Hebrews 5.14, this is, this is going to get somebody upset, but it's all right. Hebrews 5.14 But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. A mark of spiritual maturity is that you're discerning, that you understand the difference between godliness and evil, that you understand what is good for your heart and what is not good for your heart. Secondly, this verse tells us that we should train our discernment. And what does that look like? Well, when God speaks to you, when you feel an impression of the Spirit, do you act on it? If God says, I want you to encourage uh, Pastor Jose, do you actually go and encourage him? Oh, I have a word for you to give to, to Pastor Sandy or to, to, to Becky. Do you actually go and do what God says? When he tells you to pray and intercede. Now, I'm, I'm, I told the first service, I got to tell y'all too, you prophetic people are weird sometimes. I take that back all the time. And if something happens and then you be like, oh, the Lord told me three weeks ago, don't tell me. I don't want to hear about it. You should have told me three weeks ago so that I would have been ready. But because of your lack of discernment, you weren't able to give the word, right? Because you weren't being discerning. But in this season, the heart of God is to say, I want my people, sons and daughters far close to me, I want you to know that I'm working in your life, and I want you to know it's only by my goodness and by my grace. I need you to be discerning. Some of you are always wondering about what the will of God is for your life. Did you know that you can only find that through discernment? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. You understand that that you find God's will through discernment? You build discernment by spending time in God's presence and being able to speak to the Lord. One of the chief qualities and characteristics of a watchman is that you got to be diligent in your discernment. Recognize that coming to the family of God this year means that you have to be discerning. That when the enemy comes, you have an insight into how he comes. You know he is coming from this angle. You know when that person calls you who you ain't got no business talking to, you know God, when the voice of the Lord said, don't pick up that phone call, don't reply to that text message, don't hit that DM, let them off of IG, don't even do it. Got some conviction over here, praise God. Y'all were like, oh, Jesus. We didn't even go to Snapchat yet, praise God. But you know, right? That when the spirit begins to speak, you know what's good for you. That when you, when you follow the word of the Lord, you begin to train your discernment. Tell the person next to you, train it. Train it. Well, how do I build my discernment? Number one, I want you to speak to the Lord. Speak to the spirit of God. Having a relationship with the Lord is very important. Reading your word, the Bible says the word of God can discern between what is good and evil. It discerns between the piercing of the division of soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow. That's Hebrews 4.12, where it talks about the idea of the word of God teaching us to discern. Well, how does that work? If somebody tells you something contrary to God's word, you can discern that's not Christ. You can discern that's not for your life, right? So reading the word of God, simple stuff like prayer and worship, finding a mentor, right? 
Finding spiritual accountability is really important within community. Many of you have the gift of discernment, but you have no training for your discernment, and you haven't been obedient. And many of you have a gift, have a discernment, but you haven't been utilizing it because you rather walk in disobedience. Don't worry. Jesus still loves us. Amen? We find our second quality of a watchman in verse 8. Then he who saw cried out upon a watchtower, I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights. And behold, here come riders, horsemen, and peers, and he answered, fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. The watchman is crying out. Here's what he cries out. I stand on this tower every single day. And what is he saying? Real simple. He's saying, I've been obedient. I have been told to stand here, and I'm being obedient. But then he begins to complain. At my post, I'm stationed whole nights. But don't worry, you have never complained to God that he's not moving within your time frame. Don't worry, you've never been like, God, you ain't doing it like I thought you would. But the, the watchman is saying, God, I'm standing here day and night. I have been here, I have been here. Where is the movement that I'm supposed to be looking for? If you're going to be uh, obedient to God this year, it's going to take, here's point number two, a persevering obedience. A watchman should have a persevering obedience. What does that mean? That even when it doesn't feel good to be obedient, that we're going to be obedient. The Bible says the watchman finally, verse 9, he begins to see enemies approaching. He begins to cry out, I see them, they're coming. And then he has a report. What's the report? Fallen or fallen is Babylon. But this is where it gets interesting to me as a student of the Bible. The book of Isaiah is written somewhere in between 740 BC and 690 BC. A 50-year span of when this book could have been written. But Babylon, first of all, Assyria did not defeat Babylon in their city until 682 BC, which is at least minimal eight years away from when this was written or more. And then Babylon did not completely fall as an empire until 539 BC. Pastor, why are you telling me historical dates? How's that going to make me a better prayer warrior? Because the watchman had to be obedient had to persevere for anywhere from 8 to 120 years, so to speak. And what the, what the lesson here is, is that you may have to wait some things out in the spirit. You may have to do things longer than you actually want to. But if you're obedient to God, he will reward you with the message for those around you. Some of you need a, a word of the Lord for your family, for your loved ones, for those who don't know Christ, for your community, for your church family. You may have a word, but the Lord might give you a, a waiting period of a year, two, three or more before he tells you fully what he's trying to initiate in your life. But you are rushing God at every interval and you want God to speak now. But sometimes Sometimes, sometimes, you know, you only tell people some things who are your real friends. You don't meet somebody the first time you meet them and tell them your whole life story and all your dirty secrets. Matter of fact, we don't tell most folks none of them. Just that one person who knows everything. Most of us have one or two, maybe one person who knows everything because there's some things you have to build something with for I believe when it comes to being a watchman and someone who's prayerful and someone who's obedient to God, he wants to make sure that we're going to be consistent in our walk with him. It is easy to be obedient 
in your resources and your tithing and your giving when everything seems okay. It's easy to, to be obedient in your servitude to God when you feel like you have enough time. It's easy to serve God when everything is going right in your life. It's easy to do uh, like what Christians are supposed to do when God is answering all of your prayers. But the moment it feels like you are in a wilderness moment of your life, do we give up on God? Do we get tired of waiting on the wall for God to respond to our prayers, to our watchfulness? But it's the role of a person who is committed to this to be obedient to the point of God giving us a prophetic fulfillment of why we are there on the wall in the first place. The quality of a watchman is that even when things take longer than expected, their perseverance outperforms their expectations. They are willing to go further. Even when it gets uncomfortable, even when it's difficult, you have to stay the course. See, the watchman in verse 9, he says, you know what? Finally, I begin to see verse 8. I don't care. Nobody says he's complaining. He's, he's, he wants all the smoke. I've been here all day. Nobody else comes and helps me. I've been doing this all night. And da 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 And then finally, he's like, oh, wait, but behold. He tries to flip the game on us. Behold, I see something. Behold is like the biblical version of Ayo. Ayo! He sees it and he he begins to give this prophetic utterance. Now now he's like, yo, I see what you told me to look for in the first place. I see the enemy coming. And he goes, wait, wait, it's, it's not even the enemy. It's actually a messenger. And here's what they're telling us. God has defeated our enemies. We have to be obedient. You see, when God asks you to do something... It's not enough to be partially obedient, and it's not enough to have a temporary obedience, but God wants you to have a complete obedience in your life, that you would cultivate obedience in the small, and you'll find it easier to be obedient in the big things. If you can't be obedient with the small, you can't be obedient with the big. But some of us want to go directly to big, and God said, no, 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 if you can't be obedient in the small, how can I ever help you with larger things? But we got to cultivate this obedience. Let's recap as I close with this thought. First, a watchman must be, have diligent discernment. It's not enough to temporarily or sporadically discern, right? We need to be diligent, consistent, and continuous with our discernment. And secondly, we have to be persevering in our obedience, right? You cannot be discerning and then be disobedient. As a matter of fact, that's a testimony of a lot of people in the house of God, that God speaks to you and you know he does and he talks to you and he ministers to you, but then you're not obedient to him. But in this season, the Lord's saying, I want you to be obedient. We find our last point in verse 10. Oh, my threshed and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. And so the watchman, as, as Isaiah's prophesying, he's been obedient, right? He's been listening. He's been discerning. He's been really just like on the wall. He's been grinding it out. Anybody here been really faithful to God in this season of your life, right? You've been faithful. You've been doing everything God told you to do. And then what happens is that the moment he's faithful to the point where he feels like giving up, the Bible says he begins to get the message from the Lord. Can I tell you? that it is the faithful ones who get the message for the masses. It's the faithful ones. Small or great, doesn't matter. It's the people who are faithful. You may think that 
your faithfulness is of little impact because you can't see how it reverberates here on the earth. But even small faithfulness to God has major impact. There will be people in heaven that you see, God willing, we all make it, right? And when you get there, there'll be people who will have positions of high authority who you never even knew or met. And God's like, yeah, they were just, they, were, don't, they, never, they never pastored, never led nobody. They were just faithful to me. They loved me really, really good. When you look at David's story in the Old Testament, it's not one that he was so dope and did everything God said. It's not, it's not about it at all. As a matter of fact, when you look at why God loved David, it's just because I, like, I love the way he loved me. I love the way he communicated with me. I loved the way that David sang to me. It wasn't about, oh, you saw him kill Goliath? Yeah, that's my boy. It wasn't like you saw him expand Israel? That's my guy. It wasn't like, hey, did you see my boy David take over all the promised land that Joshua couldn't? That's my dude. It was, he prays and worships like no other. He's faithful. Don't minimize your faithfulness, right? But after you're faithful, he gives you a message. That message may never be preached from a pulpit, but maybe it's proclaimed to your family who all come to Jesus. Maybe it's proclaimed to your community, right? To your clients, right? Maybe it's proclaimed to the people in your immediate circle. And maybe one of them is saved and one of them becomes somebody who's majorly impactful in the kingdom of God. But God attributes all of that to you because you were faithful in the small. Never underestimate the power of being faithful. Now, I tell you guys all the time, my father was faithful with a very small church. 20 or less at times. I mean... At one point, it got below seven members, and they just kept on going. I'm like, shut it down. <laughs> right? And I, I said it in one service years ago. In the eyes of man, dad failed. But in the eyes of God, he raised children who knew God. <laughs> Greater than any church that he had, his legacy is his family, not the ministry. And so parents, your legacy is your children. How are you raising them? Forget all of your 401ks, your career, forget all that stuff. That's not your legacy. It's do you raise God-fearing children who will make a difference in the earth and what people care about the impact that they have. That's the thing right there. And if you do that, God, if you're faithful, God will give you a message. But then you don't just need the message. You need something else. And here's point number three, that every watchman will have an anointing to announce. Because the role of a watchman is you got to tell everybody within the city walls, everybody in your vicinity, God is saying this. The enemy is coming this way, right? That was the role of a biblical watchman. But here now in our time, you have an anointing. You will receive the anointing from the Lord. But the anointing is only given to those who are faithful, those who are discerning, obedient, and stay the course. Everybody wants to be appointed. Everybody wants that nowadays. But it's the anointed that are appointed. It's those who God puts his hand on that go into the places that make the greatest impact that this world has ever seen. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this year that you are called to be faithful in your place of prayer. To be diligently discerning. Diligent again being having an excellence over time. Discerning and saying, Lord, what are you saying over my life, over the people around me, and over my family, over my friends. Is there something you want me to tell, Rich? Is there something you want me to tell, Danny? Is there something you want me to say? And then when he gives it to you, man, be obedient. And if you are, he'll anoint you 
to be impactful in their lives. Israel was enduring hardship, and the fall of Babylon that was being prophesied would have signified this one thing, freedom for the nation of Judah. Freedom. And you don't know how the Lord might use you to speak a word that would be freedom to somebody else. You see, the faithful get to speak a word of freedom. When we receive that message, the Lord will give us the unction of the Holy Spirit. Like Peter on the day of Pentecost, like Stephen while he's being stoned, there was an anointing given to them to be able to declare what the Lord had given to them. And I pray for you today that God gives you that same anointing in a small and great way because you've been faithful and because you've been obedient. Come on, would you stand this early afternoon? And I want to ask you to bow your heads really, really quick for a moment. I want to ask you to bow your heads. And I want the prayer team to make their way forward. And we're asking you to bow your head, not because something weird going to happen, but just because we want to honor and reverence the presence of God in this place. And we want to give God the attention he deserves right now. Now, there's been some people here since 6.30 this morning praying for you all who are here in the seats. And praying and just believe in the Lord that God's going to touch hearts and lives and that no matter why or what brought you here today, that you are going to encounter the living God. In just a moment, we're going to move on with our service to the next portion, but I want to encourage every single one of you that there's a very real and present need for the people of God to come close to God. Even while we were worshiping, we were talking about that idea of give me Jesus. And some of you in this room, the first thing that you need to discern is your great need for Jesus Christ and his saving grace. Now, if you're here in this room, I want to ask you, do you know Christ? If you're online, there's people standing by to pray with you. You can indicate in the comments that you need prayer and they will pray with you. But if you're here in this room with every head bowed, nobody looking around, just forgetting about everyone around you, this is you and God. I want to ask you this simple question. Is your salvation secure? Is your eternity secure in God? If you need Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether for the first time or reconciliation, I want to ask you to have a boldness in your heart and lift your hand as high as you can. No shame in your game around you. Come on, you know that you need him. Thank you. You know you need him. You know you need him. And you want to have that humility. I see you in the back. Thank you. You say, I need him. I don't care what nobody else thinks. I just know that I need to recommit my life to Jesus. Again, if you're watching online, there are people standing by to pray with you. If you need him, today is your day. Now, there's a few hands up, but I want to challenge you to have a boldness even in your heart and in your life. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But to have a boldness for him and just to come up right now and receive prayer from our prayer team as we're going to segue now to the second call. If that's you with your hand up, come on, come forward. I believe that today is your day of salvation. Would you put your hands together for them? And then secondly, yeah, come, just come, just come. Come on, secondly, there's a number of you in this room who you know that you haven't been obedient to God the way you need to be. And maybe there's an area of your life where you need prayer. I want to pray over you. But then secondly, I want you to come forward and to have a boldness in your approach to God. Be bold today. 
It's a new year for you to be able to say, you know what? I'm not ashamed of my need for God. I'm not ashamed of needing prayer. Maybe you're struggling in some form or fashion. We want to lift you up. Maybe you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, in your obedience to God. Maybe you're struggling in some form or fashion, your relationships, your marriages. We want to help you and pray for you so that we can be watchful together as a church this year. I'm going to pray. When I finish praying, I'm going to say amen. If that's you, you come down this center aisle the moment I'm done praying and you forget about everybody else. Today is your moment with the Lord. Father, you know every heart, every story. And even now there is a spiritual enemy speaking to hearts to don't move, don't shift, stay in your seat. But Lord, give them a holy boldness right now. Give them a holy boldness right now. Impart to them, restore boldness. For some of them used to have it, but restore it, God. That they can come to you and be touched by your power as we touch and agree in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, that you come now.